Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. If you have got a Bible or if you've got a phone, uh, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 12? We're going to look at verses 46 to 50, and I think they're going to appear behind me, I believe. This is talking about Jesus, just for a bit of context. Uh, While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands a bit like this towards the disciples, um, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Good. So as with much of the Bible, to really understand what this means, and I'm just going to ask, Mark, can you just turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm just very loud and echoey. Uh, No one wants to hear this much of my voice. Um, So... Like with much of the Bible, to really understand what this means, we need to understand a bit of the cultural background. And one of the most important differences between cultures um, is whether they are what sociologists would call a strong group society or a weak group society. Um, I just want to give you a quick definition. Um, In a strong group society, it's going to appear behind me. Um, In a strong group society, a person sees himself as part, him or herself, as part of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, career, relationships, all of life, etc. He or she can do whatever they wish as long as it is in the group's best interest and the group generally has priority over the individual. Um, So often this is within families. Uh, So example of strong group societies would mostly be Korean, Japanese culture, most of African culture, uh, most of Arabic culture. Um, It's essentially pretty much every culture other than our Western culture. Um, And also, um, surprisingly, many of those cultures are where we see the church growing the most. Okay, we are an example uh, in Manchester, in England, we are an example of what we call a weak group society, which I feel like is a bit of a put down, but that's okay. Um, Where generally in our culture, the individual has priority over the group. So it's a bit different to this. We kind of assume our desires, our preferences, um, our comfort, our happiness are the most important things. Uh, And we call these our needs. Um, And anything which goes against this, we would call it oppressive. We would say, this is absolutely outrageous. This is a cult. We would have lots of different words to describe it, but none of them would be positive. Um, Now, Jesus' world was a strong group society, and the primary group in Jesus' time was family, um, which is, I would argue, probably not dissimilar to us. For most of us, we would think of our primary group that we are a part of as being our family. Um, Now, families in Jesus' time were what we call patrilineal. Um, which essentially means your family is defined by your father's bloodline, not by marriage. Okay, this is where there's a bit of a difference. This is why there's no surnames in the Bible. Um, So you generally see, you know, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of whatever. Um, I would be James, son of Steve, son of Ken, which I actually think is quite cool. I think we should bring that back, but I imagine there's not going to be much support for that. So that is fine. Um, But either way, family is the most important thing, and it is about your father's bloodline. So in a patrilineal culture... Generally, 
your wife actually wasn't considered as part of your family if you were a man. Marriage was mostly arranged. Um, It was generally based on what is best for your family rather than what is best for you. So this is the culture that Jesus is speaking into. And that would mean your closest relationships back in the first century Mediterranean would generally be with your brothers and your sisters, not with your spouse or significant other. Yeah, we kind of just assume in 21st century Manchester, your closest relationship is your your spouse or your partner or, or, or similar. But back then, it is your brothers and your sisters. And I think this is really, really interesting because what does Jesus call us as his followers, um, as his apprentices, his disciples? He uses the Greek word adelphoi, uh, which you can see behind me, which is brothers and sisters. And now we're going to come to what that means for us in a second, but there's a few things I just want us to note first. First of all, this is really, 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 I cannot emphasise enough, really radical for Jesus culture. Yeah, he describes his family not by those patrilineal bloodlines in a culture that's all about your family and about honour for your family, but he defines his family as those who do God's will. He's saying your primary family isn't your brothers or your sisters or for us spouses or children and so forth. It is those who do the will of the Father. It's what we would now probably call your church. Now this is crazy controversial okay it's probably one of the things that got Jesus killed um, as we see coming later on that all can be part of that family and that actually um, we see uh, just after this in, in chapter 13 Jesus doesn't go out with his mothers and his brothers when they're asking for him he goes and he carries on teaching the crowd and he teaches them the parable of the sower and he talks about how some seeds are going to fall on hard ground because he knows this was a teaching that was controversial at the time this was seriously controversial. In a society that is all about your family and your family's honour, to say your primary family is actually the church, it's the other believers, um, that wouldn't have gone down well in Jesus' time. And I think we're a weak group society. We don't have quite as strong family ties. Like I get to decide who I marry, which I'm quite happy about. That's not going to be decided by my parents. That's quite a good thing. Um, But even so, our family is probably our primary group. And so this is probably a challenging teaching for many of us too. Um, As many of you know, I've I've been able to choose who I marry. I'm very excited by that. I think that's a good thing. Um, I'm preparing to get married in September. Um, And I've been doing lots of reading to try and prepare, to try and do that well and try and think through how to do this. And marriage is a good thing. It is designed by God. It is one of the ways that we kind of picture Christ and the church and that we grow in our relationships with Jesus. Marriage is an incredible thing. But one of the things I've noticed is I've been doing lots of reading, um, lots of trying to prepare and get ready for that is that we kind of just make an assumption where our culture says family comes first, my wife comes first and everything else fits around that. That's an assumption that comes from our culture and doesn't come from what the Bible teaches. Um, I've spent a lot of time digging into this and if you read what the Bible teaches, other than sex, which I would hope would be a fairly kind of obvious point there, um, but other than sex and being committed for life, Every command that is between husband and wives is also repeated in the context of other believers and our relationships with other believers. Jesus says, actually, our primary family 
isn't just those that we are related to by blood. It isn't just those who we've married. It isn't just our children. Our primary family is the church. And although it's probably not as uncomfortable for us as it would have been for Jesus' listeners, I am prepared to bet that that is seriously uncomfortable for most of us in the room. And I just want to read again that definition of a strong group society, but I'm going to sub in the word family. Uh, It's going to appear behind. Just flip back one for us. Flip back. Oh, have I missed some slides? Maybe I have. Who knows? Who knows what I've done there? I'm going to read it for you. So it says, in the family, the person perceives him or herself as a member of the family and responsible to the family for his or her actions, destiny, career, development and life in general. The individual is free to do whatever he or she feels right and necessary only when the action is in the family's best interest. The family generally has priority over the individual member. And this is probably the way a lot of us will do family, and that is good, that is important. But Jesus' teachings to us is actually, who is my family? My family is the church. So I'm going to sub in the word church and just see how it reads. In the church, or CCM Reddish, let's call it in CCM Reddish, the person perceives him or herself as a member of the church and responsible to the church for his or her actions, destiny, career development, life in general. The individual is free to do whatever he or she feels right and necessary only when the action is in the church's best interest. The church has priority over the individual member. Um, Now that's a mashup of quite a few different Bible verses, but I wonder how many of you want to turn and run out of the door right now because you think CCM Reddish has become a cult. Like, anybody thinking that, floating around in their heads? Um, How does it feel to read? I'll be honest, when I first started having a browse through some of this, and I first came across this about a year and a half ago, I was like, this is too difficult. This is too extreme. This isn't right. This isn't what fits. This isn't what I know. Um, And as I've been kind of reading and praying through it for just over a year now, unpacking a few different verses, um, and I I really wish we had time to unpack this more. I really do. And so what I've done, um, because there's so much I can't go into, I brought a list of kind of references with me. Um, So if you want to unpack more of these verses, um, there's a couple of sermons and a couple of books to read. I've kind of brought those as a collection that I can give to you at the end if you want to dive deeper. But for now, I just want to focus on a couple of things. Okay, the first thing I want to focus on is when when we read definitions like that of what the church should be when we look at the bible telling us to kind of be devoted to teaching and fellowship when we look at meeting daily together sharing out our wealth so that those who have more share so it's more equal for those who have less when it talks about putting your church family first putting your church first in decisions about your job how you're responsible to the church for your own personal growth with jesus when it talks about all that i think it's normal to go Everyone do that together. Good. Some good puffs over there. Yeah, it is not just you who is sitting there thinking, that seems pretty full on. That seems a bit extreme. Okay, I'm going to be really honest. When I was preparing this sermon, I was probably more nervous than I have been in over a couple of years to preach this sermon. Um, And the reason for that is because I genuinely, after probably a year or so of wrestling with it, I believe this is what the Bible calls us to. But I think we are all, every single one of us in this room, myself definitely included, a long way off this. 
Okay, and that's okay. There is no judgment because we're on a learning journey together. We're trying to learn how to do this together. But the reason I highlight is because um, to be able to do something about it, I think we need to realise a lot of the fear that comes from doing life like this, a lot of the fear that comes from living as the church, as Acts did, the the pushback that we want to give, the, the, the calling it extreme and saying it's out there, that comes from our Western culture. It comes from our Western church culture and what we're used to. It doesn't come from Jesus and what the Bible teaches. Um, that's hard. And we're all going to be looking at that thinking, flip, that sounds hard. And so the second thing I want us to recognise is that, yes, this is really scary. Um, and it looks like it's going to cost an awful lot. But it is so, so, so worth it. And so I just want to dive into a little bit. When it sounds so hard, when it sounds like we'd have to sacrifice so much, why on earth would we want to live in community? It just sounds difficult. Well, to be a child of the Father, so we would all call ourselves children of God, to be a um, child of the Father is also to be a brother or sister in the family. The kind of um, the Bible or the New Testament's go-to metaphor of what it means um, to be in God's family is that we are adopted. Okay, we are adopted. And um, I've got some friends who've just adopted a little girl. And and simultaneously on the day that she became their daughter, she was adopted and became their daughter. Simultaneously on that day, she became the sister of the two boys uh, that they already have. Even if she didn't want that, she couldn't choose that. Yeah, I want to be adopted by the parent, but I don't want the brothers or sisters. Um, I had a terrible relationship with my sister when I was younger. I would have very happily not had a sister, but I didn't get a choice in the matter. Fortunately, we get on very well. She's like my best mate now, but it was not like that for the first 18 years of our life. Um, My point with this is you cannot separate your relationship with God to your relationship with your church community and others. And I'll repeat that again because I think it's so important. We cannot separate our relationship with God with our church community. Uh, relationship with our church community and so many of us think of oh actually you know absolutely as we go to um, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus so as we spend more time with him as we spend more time in prayer in our Bibles as we grow in our relationship with God absolutely that helps us love other people better it helps us be kinder be gentle because we are more filled by the spirit and I think we all get that but what we don't recognize as much is it works two ways yeah It works two ways on that diagram. As um, our relationship with God affects our relationship with others, also our relationship with others affects our relationship with God. So the majority, and I don't just mean a small amount, the majority, most of the New Testament teachings on how to follow Jesus are actually about how we live together. When the Bible unpacks how do we follow God, how do we serve God, most of that is how we do life with each other. It's not about life on our own. And so the the thing that I want you to write down if you're taking notes is actually the church is the primary way that God changes us. The church is the primary way that God changes us and our hearts. And I want to look at that with a bit of a concrete example. Uh, We explored it a bit in practice in the way. If you haven't listened to some of those, please go back and give them a listen. I can send you the links. Um, But one of the things that we explored was, let's say we are thinking about the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, we're thinking about the fruits of the Spirit, pitch wherever you want, whether it's patience, whether it's kindness, uh, whether it's love, whatever it might be. How do we grow in the fruits of the Spirit? And for most of us, the answer to that is that we pray. And this is a very good and important place to start. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. 
Um, but as you can see here, I've tried to treat this as sort of like a vending machine from space. We treat these prayers as, God, just give me patience. God, just help me to be more loving. God, just make me kinder. And we kind of expect God to download it into our heads like, you know how Trinity does in The Matrix, uh, my favourite scene where she just needs to learn to fly a helicopter and she just downloads how to fly a helicopter into her head. And we kind of think that's how it works. But if we look at the story and the narrative of the Bible, 99.99% of the time, that is not how God chooses to grow a character. He absolutely could do that if he wanted to. We do see some examples of it happening, but 99.9% of the time, that's not how God chooses to grow us. We grow in patience or kindness or whatever fruit you want to choose by doing it. Okay, so the more we practice patience, the more patient we become. The more patient a person you become, the more we are allowing the Holy Spirit to get in us. That's how our hearts change. We are opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, doing a work in us by practising. Okay, we see this. Jesus, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us all this stuff of how to live to end. And he says, okay, now go and practise it, is what Jesus instructs us. Paul tells us to train in our godliness. God has given us a way to become more like him, and he calls it the church. Yeah. I know this church, I know many of us are just finding life tough. Sometimes life wears us down, sometimes work is hard, sometimes illness strikes. Um, there is so much in life that is just hard and the reality is that's never going to change. Life is always going to be difficult but if we want to know the peace and the joy that comes from following Jesus, if we want to be able to be patient when circumstances are not going our way, if we want our contentment not to be shaken by whatever's going on at work or difficult people around us or problems in life, our training ground to get us to that place is doing life together in the church. That's Jesus' vision for the church, that we are a family and not just a Sunday meeting. So, how's everyone feeling? It's quite a full-on, it's quite challenging. Um, let's finish by looking at what does it mean for us to live in community. And I just want to quickly look first at what community is not and what community is. So we're going to start with what community is not. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles and you've got your phones to Matthew 10. Uh, and we're going to look at verses 2 to 4. It's going to appear behind me. You, Many of you may have seen this before. Um, it is the kind of list of the, um, the first community group essentially the 12 apostles I'm not saying that we're like the apostles but our community group on Wednesday did have 12 people um, and I was like not drawing comparisons but maybe there's something there but anyway the the first disciples we can kind of think of them as the first community group um, these are the names that we get given by Matthew and I just want to highlight two of them that are given a moniker sort of next to their names the first one being Simon the Zealot so, the Zealots were a Jewish right-wing terrorist group, yeah? They hated the Romans, like more than we can imagine hated the Romans. These uh, were guys who would do things like they would just pop up and just kill Roman soldiers. They'd knife them, slit their throats and run off because they wanted independence for Israel. Um, and Rome had come, they'd conquered them and they were trying to get rid of Roman rule. Simon, more than anything you can imagine, would have hated the Romans. Pre-Jesus, he was part of a group that literally would go around committing murder because they believed in it so strongly. Okay, and then we have Matthew, the tax collector, who was a Jew who had sold his people out and essentially was fleecing them of money to fund the Romans. Yeah, see where I'm going with this. These two are in the same community group. 
Yeah? I want you to picture Wednesday nights around a sausage casserole with Matthew and Simon chatting to each other or trying to unpack a verse of, well, they wouldn't have unpacked a verse like this, but trying to unpack the Bible together. Sitting there and they're, they're arguing over the slow cooker and whatever else it is that they do. Can you imagine that Simon and Matthew are best friends? Can you imagine that they got on with each other particularly well? I am going to suggest, I think quite, quite confidently, that they wouldn't have done. Like, you know, Simon's sitting there being like, oh my word, what a traitor. He has sold himself out. Um, Matthew's sitting there, probably correctly, saying, Simon, he's a murderer. I'm not having any of this. You know, that is not going to be a nice, comfortable community group. We've also got, we've got James and John in there. Uh, there's a great story about how James and John kind of run to their mum and then their mum runs to Jesus and is like, Jesus, make us the most important uh, or make my sons the most important. And then it all kicks off and the disciples get really annoyed. They are constantly arguing. They are not a group that were just lovely best friends. The drama of that first community group would have been unreal. I imagine it would have been a great reality TV show, um, but I don't think that was a thing back then. Um, it wouldn't have always been fun, okay? It wouldn't have always been easy, but we see, as the story of the early church goes on, these guys become brothers. They become brothers, and they are transformed by the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between friends and community. Friends, there is a bit of a spark there. You know, there's a chemistry because they like us and we like them and it's all very nice and we feel good about it and it's a good thing. And friendship is a good thing, but community is more than that, yeah? Community is also being with those people that maybe you don't get on with quite as well. Those people who are different from you. Friendship is quite easy generally. It doesn't challenge us as much. We don't have to work as hard to be patient or to be kind or, or generous because we like the person and so it's a lot easier. But if we mainly spend our time with people who like us and people who we like and we only spend our time with people like that, we're not going to grow. We're not going to be transformed by the Spirit in the same way that we would if we live in true community. And so please do not hear me wrong. Friendship is good and we need friendships. Friendships and community is good. We need friendships and community. But it is also good if there are those in your community that you don't get on with. It is good if there's those in your community who you, oh, you just annoy me. Ugh. Because that's where community transforms us most. That is where it does all the good in our hearts as we have to learn to be patient. We have to learn to be kind. We have to learn to be loving. You don't have to work hard to love someone that you already like quite a lot. That is where community transforms us. Community is not the same as chemistry. And secondly, community is not just connecting with other people. So we as a society, we are more connected than we have ever been before. You know, we know more people, we're in touch with more people. Um, community is not just having a meal with some other people when it works for us. You know, I've got a good number of Christian friends who aren't part of this church, um, who I meet up with on a semi-regular basis. Um, and I love them. They are absolutely amazing. They are great friends. We talk about Jesus a lot. We talk about doing discipleship together a lot. But I have to be really clear, they are not my community. Because I see them when it works. They're, they're friends, they're amazing, but I am not committed to doing day-to-day -day life with them. Friendship is good, but it is different to just connecting with people or friendship. Community is a commitment. 
And if you take one thing from the message this morning, if you ignore everything else I say, which you're very, very welcome to, um, if you ignore everything else I say, please just remember this one thing. Community is about being committed to each other. Community is about being committed to each other. And commitment is not a popular thing to talk about from the front of church. Um, I very much recognise that. And there is a load of grace here, an absolute bucket load of grace here, as we are all so far off and we are working towards it together. Yeah, this isn't about judgment. It's just an observation that I think we need to recognise before we can work on it. Yeah, to see the benefits of community, we have to commit to each other. There is always going to be a better offer on the table than being together. The nights, you know, where you just, you want a night off, and I am shattered, and Netflix and my bath and candles seem so much more appealing uh, than going and trying to work hard and talk to people. You know, there's always going to be a day where there's an offer to hang out with friends or family that, to be honest, we like an awful lot more than the people we're spending time with in community. Or there's a show or a football match or something that is just so much more fun than being together. There is always going to be a better offer on the table. Community isn't just doing life together when it works for us. It's about committing to each other and saying, actually, being with you is important, even if there's something I would rather be doing. One of the books that I... um, read on this a couple of months ago, um, was looking at our, it's a very specific thing in our Western culture that we do, where to kind of justify a lot of our individualism and the focus on us, we replace the word want in sentences with the word need. Um, It's uh, an interesting study to do, just listen for how often you hear it. People say they need something when actually what they mean is they want something. But as we start to use the word, I need, oh, I just, I need a night off. Oh, I just need X or Y and Z. That becomes what we believe. And I do, I want to be real honest, I was scared about preaching this morning. I have not been this tummy nervous for a while before I've preached because this is just so far away from what we're used to. We are in a culture where me, I, myself, my feelings, that's what comes first. The idea of sacrifice isn't a thing that we're generally a fan of, even in the Western church culture. But often what we call our needs are actually our wants. And giving up what we want, that is how the Holy Spirit changes us. The Bible is full of this. Jesus talks about how often we'll try and save our lives and we're going to end up losing it. But it's if we lose our lives, that's when we save it. There's so much about picking up our crosses and sacrificing because that's how God changes us. Let's take the example we talked about. As we practice giving up what we want, as we say, actually, I'm going to commit to going and and praying with Luke, even though there's a million things I'd prefer to be doing this morning than praying with Luke, like lying in bed. Um, As we practice not getting what we want, not getting that lying, not getting what's comfortable, we train our hearts to become more used to not getting what we want and what's not comfortable. So when the storms of life come, when work stress hits, when someone gets ill, when something outside our control hits us hard, we're more used to not getting what we want. We're more used to things not being comfortable. And so it doesn't hit us quite as hard. And then we go through that cycle again and again and again and again. And as we learn to give up what we want, as we learn to sacrifice and put others first, 
That's how we learn that secret to joy and peace and contentment, no matter what the circumstance is, because we're used to it. We're used to not getting our way. I think we see time and time again in the stories of Scripture, that is how God changes our hearts. That's how we are opened up to the Holy Spirit, by practice. Yeah, and that's why community needs commitment. Because just kind of doing socialising or life only when it works for us doesn't bring all of the benefits that Jesus designed church community to bring. And I promise you, it is the most incredible benefits. And so as we wrap up, um, you can all breathe. There is a lot of challenge in there. There is an awful lot of challenge. And I just want to say that with a load of grace, an absolute bucket ton of grace, because we are all on a learning journey, the more we live in community, the more we will grow in our walks with Jesus. Yeah, the more we live in community, the more we'll find freedom, that happiness, that contentment in the long term, even though it's going to involve sacrifice in the short term. But the converse is also true. The less we live in community, the more we just focus on me, myself and I, what works for me and my family, the more we do that, the less we will grow. And again, I will stress as we train in following Jesus, because that's what we're doing, that's what church is about. We're trying to learn together. There is no guilt, okay? This isn't a dig. We have all got a long way to go in this. I'm not standing up saying, I have got this nail, because I definitely haven't. But I feel a conviction that we want to know that freedom. We want that for each other. There's so much of our life that is just difficult, and Jesus has given us a way to find freedom in the difficult. And if we want to find that, we've got to do something about it. So I want to invite you to do something this morning. um, And I want to invite you to do something that will commit. Um, I know that is the least popular thing to say as a church leader. um, And I know many of you are probably sitting there angry at me right now. Um, And I want to stress it's an invitation. Okay, this is an invitation. And like every invitation, you don't have to do it. This isn't about you have to come to church. Otherwise, you're not going to be saved. This isn't what this is. This isn't legalism. You don't have to do any of these things but it's an invitation to find freedom and so I've tried to scribble some examples um, of some ways that we could commit to being together Um, I think one of the most powerful ways for me I have a friend in church that I meet with once a week to pray um, over the phone um, and I find it one of the most helpful bits of my week to just ground me to get me out of my own head, less focused on myself and recentered on Jesus. Is there someone in this church that you could commit to and say, actually, every week we're going to touch base? Yeah, we're going to pick up the phone. For half an hour, we're going to pray together. Yeah, um, consistently being together in a Sunday meeting. This is not about rules. Am I saying you have to be here every Sunday? Absolutely not. Next Sunday, uh, Kiri's leaving her church in Bradford. I'm going to go there because they're going to pray us out. I think that's a good thing. Um, But one of the things that me and Kiri have been challenged on is if we're going for a weekend away, we're visiting friends on a stag do or a wedding that's on the Saturday, can we get back for the Sunday to be together? It's not hard and fast rules. It's about seeing actually where can we push ourselves just that little bit. The same with community groups. There are many people in our church community who maybe have childcaring responsibilities. Okay, you physically can't just abandon your child in your house. That's illegal. Please don't do that. We'll have to do a lot of safeguarding work. I don't want to have to do all of that paperwork. But what can we be doing as a church to work around that, to support those people who actually a Tuesday evening, we're struggling. There is a challenge to us as a church, but mostly 
what I want to encourage you to do is just challenge yourself a little bit. The meals with each other. Um, we can make this an absolutely massive thing. I'll call Anna out. I'm so sorry, Anna. I had Mark and Anna around for dinner when you first joined the church. I completely forgot that they were coming around. I finished work late, and so I served them three-minute tortellini that got boiled as they got there, and it was probably quite a grim dinner. Um, and I hope it didn't matter because you stayed, so something worked. Um, but my purpose is regulate, you know, inviting people into your home food. It might be that you're going to do bacon butties in the morning before you go to work and pray together. The bar is low. If you are absolutely run off your feet, you've got young children and you're busy, there's people in this church who've got more time. Say, actually, I'm really strong. I can't give you. Will you come around and cook dinner for us and then do the washing up? Yeah, there are people in this church who have more time and people in this church who have less time. There's people in this church who have more money and people in this church who have less money. That is why Katie and Lily, that group is so important because it's starting to help us not just give away our stuff, but give our time to each other. Can you serve someone else in this community with what you have? Each of you has something that you can serve others with. And that's where being a family comes in. Yeah? Jesus tells us our primary family isn't who we're related to, it's not your wife, your children. It's not, I don't know why I'm looking at you, Isaac. It's not Isaac if you're Hannah or you're Simeon. Actually, your primary family is the church. And Jesus has designed this way, um, this, this team, this community, to help us find freedom. But we've got to choose to live that out.